And now, The Travel Show with Arthur and Pauline Fromer. Your chance to talk to the publishers of the nation's best-selling travel guide series. Whether your travel destination is around your corner or any corner of the world, the Fromers will help you get the most out of your travel experience and save you money at the same time. And now, Arthur and Pauline Fromer. And this is The Travel Show in which we talk about vacations. Welcome. I'm Arthur Fromer. And I'm Pauline Fromer. And in the time ahead, we're going to be discussing travel. And we'd love to have you be part of that conversation. There are a couple ways to do that. You can email me at fromertravelshow at yahoo.com. And that would allow you to perhaps appear on the show if you have a question or if you're a potential guest. Or you can... Hit us up on social media. We're very active on Pinterest, on Facebook, on Instagram, on uh, Twitter. Uh, if you want to chat with us that way, that's another great way. And online, we also have our website, fromers.com. We're darn proud of it. We think it has the best information for travelers, both destination-based and in terms of the travel Industry, And I just wrote an article that I'm pretty proud of. It's called The Top Travel Trends for 2020. It's appearing on Fromers.com. And I talked to a good two dozen people from all corners of the travel industry. And, Pauline, would you now uh, summarize the results of your interviews? Well, there's so many different parts of the travel industry that were uh, that I discussed. So for example, day experiences. That is the fastest segment of the travel industry. And when I say that, I mean there are now these very popular and very uh, um, profitable websites that sell tickets to museums, tours, whitewater rafting expeditions, uh, cooking classes. Basically, they sell anything that you could do in a destination for just a day. And because these day experience vendors have become so ubiquitous, it's changing the way people do day experiences. First of all, it means that a lot of people are waiting until they get to the place, and then they're just bringing out their phone and deciding at the spur of the moment what to see and do. According to the folks I spoke to, I spoke to people at um, uh, getyourguide.com. I also spoke to folks at, um, oh, what's the other name of the place? Uh, it's called, uh, I spoke to folks at Tour Scanner, which is kind of like a, uh, kayak.com. It's it, it's a search engine for these types of tours, so it doesn't really sell them. It simply searches for them. And according to Cert Tour Scanner, five years ago, only 5% of travelers booked activities on the day they were doing them. Today, more than 50% do. Now, there's a downside to that. There's a problem with that because that's very good if you're going to what I would call a secondary site. But because of over-tourism, which I also discuss in this piece, you try and go to the Anne Frank House in Amsterdam and you just show up at the door, 
there's no way you're getting in. People booked a ticket for that months in advance. The same for the Van Gogh Museum. They no longer sell day of tickets. At the Louvre lately, they've been closing the doors to all those, except for those who have advanced tickets. So you have to kind of wonder, is this a, a, a really top uh, a tourist attraction? If it is, don't wait till the last minute. But if not, it's kind of a nice new um, tool that travelers have. They say, oh, I'm in this neighborhood of this city. What's nearby? Oh, I'll get a ticket to that. What do you think of that, Dad? I think that that's a wonderful idea, and it, it makes people go to the less visited destinations, yeah. the alternative destinations, which sometimes can be extremely rewarding yes. for the last-minute tourists. And so also with this, these companies are now accumulating reams and reams of data. They're getting reviews from users, and they're also looking at, oh my, everybody wants this tour in the morning but it's only offered in the afternoons. So get your guide, which is one of these tour, you know, sellers of these day experiences. They have used artificial intelligence to look through all the data. And now they are partnering with tour companies to reverse hack their tours. So, for example, if they see that too many people have complained, my feet got tired, the tour was too long, or this or that, they're telling the tour companies so they make the tour shorter or they offer the tour at a time some pe- people want to book it. So, to give one example, one of the uh, tours they reversed hacked was a Harry Potter tour in London that people were complaining about. They said, well, I learned a lot, but I really wanted it to be more fun. You know, so they were getting hit with a lot of Harry Potter trivia, but the people on this tour, according to the guy I talked to at Get Your Guide, they really wanted to be wizards and witches themselves. <laughs> and so instead, now this tour starts with the, the guide has a sorting hat. And everybody reaches their hand in and figures out, am I a Slytherin? Am I a Gryffindor? And then you're in teams on the tour. And instead of the guide telling you the trivia, you have to guess it. And (laughs) she tells you if you're right or not. And then one of the the teams wins at the end of the tour. Um, So I thought this was very, very interesting. It's going to really shape the way uh, people do tours in the future. Now, let's hope uh, that the people that they're looking at their opinions have good opinions. I mean, you know, looking at crowdsourcing isn't, isn't always the best thing for all travelers, but it's an interesting approach. As well, I spoke with some people in the cruise industry, and there's a very interesting source there, uh, uh, trend there. For the last... Whew, six, seven years, there's been an arms race uh, between the different cruise lines, each trying to build bigger and bigger and bigger ships. It looks like we've reached the ceiling, Dad. Aren't you happy to hear that? I'm happy to hear it, and I rejoice in that. And I have been 
very impressed by the fact that there are some other companies that are deliberately building smaller ships. Yep. Ships, uh-huh. ships that only carry as few as 3,500 passengers or 3,800 passengers. Or even that, smaller. That size of ship is unusual by the standards of yesteryear. One person I spoke with who, who's a very, very uh, influential travel agent, a guy named Pat Webb from Galaxy Cruises and Tours, he told me, if you just look at it in terms of advanced bookings, Viking Ocean Cruises, its ships only take 930 passengers. They've got a nine-month, you have to book more than nine months in advance to get a spot on those cruises. Isn't that remarkable? But, But even the mass market lines may be going smaller. Norwegian Cruise Lines has announced that they're doing a new class of vessels, and they're they're pulling back. They're going smaller. They they don't. They're not going to make these big, big, huge ships. Now, why is that? To which I say, Hallelujah, Paul. <laughs> well, the reason for it is the big, huge ships needed big, huge docks, and so they could only go to a very limited number of places. And experienced cruisers usually don't want to just spend all their time on board or on private islands. They want to get out and see the world. That's why they're cruising. And so finally, the industry is taking that into account and is pulling back on size so that they can go to more interesting ports. The other interesting thing that's happening in the cruise industry is there's been a revolution there in communication on board the ships. They now have satellite towers on many of these ships that are, uh, or uh, cell phone towers that are attached to a satellite way up in the atmosphere. And so nowadays, especially on all of the Carnival uh, family of ships, which is Carnival, Princess, Holland, America, Seaborne, Cunard, you don't have to get wait until you're in port to make a cell phone call. You can be in the middle of the Pacific, half the way to Hawaii, and call home. Yes, it will be expensive, but it won't be outrageously expensive. And there are systems now on board the ships that allow people to use their phones like walkie-talkies and get in touch with other members of their groups for much less than roaming charges would have been. As well, they're also putting apps out where you book dining room uh, reservations, you navigate the deck, you book shore excursions. So everything is moving towards cell phones on cruise ships. Another thing I'm finding has to do with the fact that our populations are changing. Virgin Voyages is going to be this fabulous new cruise line. They're doing a lot of cultural touch points that have never been seen at sea before. For example, there's going to be a tattoo parlor online, and they're going to have name DJs in the clubs getting everybody up dancing. And they're also going to have the first vegan-slash-vegetarian restaurant at sea. And we are seeing an enormous boom in the number of vegan travelers, simply because there are more vegan travelers. Um, you know, it's it's uh, a quarter of uh, millennials or a quarter of people ages 24 to 30, 25 to 34 now say they're vegan or vegetarian. And so this is something that the tra- the, the travel uh, world is having to, to grapple with. I spoke with a woman from a, a tour operator that only does vegan tours. They're called Kindred Traveler, and she's growing by leaps and bounds. People want to get out in the world, and they don't want to have to... Uh, 
eat just salad all the time. They want other options. All right, I'm looking at the clock. We have to take a break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Fromer Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer here with my dad, Arthur Fromer. And on the line, we have Meredith Pratt. She is the author of Fromer's Easy Guide to Washington, D.C. Welcome to the Travel Show, Meredith. Thank you for having me. So I got to ask you, does the character of the city change depending on the administration? Does, is uh, One of the things I always love to do when I go to Washington, D.C., and this is going to sound terrible, but I sit in bars and I don't drink that much. I just eavesdrop because I always hear the most fascinating conversations around me. Um, and I think the last time I was in town was during the Obama administration. There was a lot of young people, um, a lot of people from all ethnic backgrounds. Is it different today? You know, honestly, I, I don't think it's, it's entirely different unless you go to one of those restaurants or bars uh, frequented by Hill staffers. Huh. But, you know, D.C. is a political town. It's always been a political town. Um, we've had 44 presidents come and go. Uh, so there's been a lot of differences in administration. So sure. I, don't, I don't think that you will necessarily walk down the street and hear a whole lot of differences from you know, year to year. Interesting. Very interesting. But you will get to see and do new things. One of the really remarkable things about D.C. is how just in the last decade, it's gone from a a place where you really didn't want to be after dark. Uh, Not I'm not talking danger. I'm just talking boring. Uh, You know, just not great restaurants kind of there was some pockets of good nightlife, but overall, I'm from New York, so I wasn't impressed. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's changed, though, right? It really has. Um, the city stays open after dark now. Uh, and, you know, it's still commuter city. A lot of people do uh, still leave once the sun goes down. Um, but there are pockets and more and more pockets of uh, nightlife and great restaurants and areas where people want to stay uh, for dinner, for live music. Um, and not go rushing home right away. Well, there's a historic wharf that has been totally revitalized, right? Correct. Um, it's right on the southwest waterfront, so it's uh, on the Potomac River, so you have great views of the waterfront. Um, but there are amazing restaurants and a brand-new uh, live music venue called the Anthem, um, which gets some pretty uh, big-name acts into it. Mm, Wow. We are speaking with Meredith Pratt. She is the author of Fromer's Easy Guide to Washington, D.C. 2020. Just came out. We hope you'll get it before you do your next trip. I promise you it'll save you money. And more importantly, it will save you a lot of headaches. And one of the headaches in Washington, D.C. is this town is secured. And I think a lot of people feel, don't understand that they're going to get stopped if they try to bring a big, huge bag into many places or that they're going to have to go through security like you would in an airport to get into a museum. Is is that fair to say? That is fair to say, yes. All of the Smithsonian museums um, have metal detectors and you have to go through 
um, a process of, of getting in. And some of them have big crowds. I mean, uh, I, I know that for some of the federal buildings, you have to, believe it or not, you have to actually go to the office of the guy you may or may not have voted for in the last election, your your representative, to sightsee. Is that a fair way to put it? Yep, that's correct. Um, especially for the White House, uh, you have to contact your senator or representative uh, at least three months in advance um, and try to secure a reservation to be able to tour the White House. Um, and then once you go, uh, you'll be subjected, obviously, to a bag search, and um, you're not allowed to bring certain items in. Um, and that goes for the U.S. Capitol as well. You don't need to contact your senator, but you do need to make a reservation online in advance. And there's lots of security protocol um, before you enter the building. Now, when you go to the Capitol, one of the most exciting things or one of the most boring things, really depending on what's going on, is going into the chamber and watching either the senators or your Congress people um, pretending to work or uh, giving speeches. Um, how far in advance do those tickets get given out each day or how far in advance do you have to plan for that? If you want to uh, actually see um, your representatives at work and go into the chamber, I would recommend booking at least a month, um, maybe a little bit more in advance. You can do it online, um, but you can also, um, for those more advanced tours of the U.S. Capitol, you can also reach out directly to your representative and request that. Um, and when you say more advanced tours, so these are going to be more in-depth tours with congressional attaches or or what are you saying yes um with actual congressional um tour guides as opposed to the u.s capitol tour guides um and you will be able to see additional rooms Um, when you go for um just a traditional tour of the u.s capitol um they take you through the atrium um and into certain halls but you aren't able to see the actual representatives at work you know, one of my favorite things to do, I've done it now twice, and it's absolutely fascinating, mostly because I stare at Clarence Thomas, willing him to speak. And I'm talking about the public can go hear arguments at the Supreme Court. And even if it's a really obscure case, if it's gotten that far, I can promise you it's going to be fascinating to watch. Uh, but but sometimes it's hard to get in. How early or where can people find out information about what cases will be going on? Um, it's actually pretty much all online. Um, you really need to go get there early. Um, and stand in line. I hate to say it, but you do. Um, So they open uh, to the public Monday through Friday at 9 a.m. But only some months of the year, so you want to make sure you have the schedule right. Correct. Um, And they have a homepage on their website called Today at the Court, um, which details the daily calendar. Um, and you can go and look up what they might be discussing that day. Yeah, it's. Re- I, I give it a big thumbs up. It's a fascinating thing to do. And it doesn't sound like it would be, but it absolutely would be. Another favorite thing that I do whenever I go to D.C. that a lot of people don't know about is the Library of Congress, which I think is one of the most beautiful buildings in the United States. Can you talk a little bit about that? We have about 30 seconds. Sure. Uh, The Library of Congress, it is a beautiful building, um, and it's one of the oldest uh, libraries in the country. Um, You can go and tour, and then you can actually even get your very own uh, library card to the Library of Congress. 
um, which allows you to uh, not check out books, but get a little bit more in-depth with some of the books that are available. Yeah, there's so much to see and do in D.C. And Meredith's book, which is Fromer's Easy Guide to Washington, D.C. 2020, really breaks it down. Thank you, Meredith. You're welcome. Welcome back to The Travel Show. This is Pauline Fromer here with my dad, Arthur Fromer. And on the line, one of our favorite guests is back. She is Stephanie Rosenblum. She's a contributor to The New York Times. And recently she wrote an article that in the print edition, the headline was, At this airport, fly in and then hang out. What the heck is that? Which airport would you actually want to hang out in? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe only one or two, but this one is Singapore's Changi Airport. Ah, yes. Very famous airport. So when you say hang out, how did you do that? What, What was the parameters of your trip? So in this case, I decided to actually overnight when I could have just connected, uh, you know, I was traveling on to Vietnam and I could have just connected, but I thought, let's stay. So I ended up spending 27 hours in the airport. Uh, but their airport is extraordinary. It's not like your average airport. And they've, they've built it to be essentially an entertainment lifestyle complex, not just a, a place to sort of wait for your next flight. So what are the, what, what is the scope of that? What do you mean when you say an entertainment complex? Sure. So for instance, there is a butterfly sanctuary with, you know, hundreds of exotic, beautiful butterflies. And you don't just get to see them, you can learn about them and, and you know, find out like what's native to the area. They have a, uh, they have a mirror maze that you can go get lost in. They've got a hedge maze. They have all... Hold on. Before we leave the mazes, (laughs) to my mind, that's madness at an airport. What if somebody gets lost and they miss their flight? I guess, you know, that would be a very interesting thing to find out how many people miss their flight because they were distracted. Distracted Distracted. in this airport, yeah. (laughs) Yes, but I think, um, you know, they've made it really seamless because their security in most of their terminals is at the gate. So you can, you know, you can do these things and then you sort of, you know, set your alarm, you know, realize, okay, and then you you just put your bags through right before you enter the boarding area. Um, So in some way, I mean, I guess in some ways you could argue that that might make it a little longer, but, um, you know, with a little bit of planning. Well, I got to ask. This sounds like something that wouldn't make sense if it was just for passengers. Do um, people from Singapore come and hang out there too? I mean, or is that not allowed as it is in our, like it wouldn't be in our airport. You can't just go hang out in the airport. They do indeed. And that's actually a long tradition there um, that, you know, students will go there to study. I mean, you know, you've got Wi-Fi, you've got many wonderful restaurants, not just fast food places, but really great restaurants. Um, They've got, you know, air conditioning, which in Singapore is very important. Mm -hmm. And also people, you'll see people who go on dates there. Um, the airport wow. itself has reported that people take family photos, you know, for occasions at the airport because it's very beautiful. Wow, that's amazing. I, I can see maybe brides and grooms. And you mm-hmm. said that it's it's air conditioned. And one of the hallmarks of it is that there are a lot of gardens inside. So in a way, it may be even more pleasant than an outdoor garden. Or does it just start feeling very phony? 
Well, they have actually both. So in the terminals themselves, they have outdoor spaces. So you can actually, like, they have a sunflower garden, for instance, on the roof where you can watch, you know, planes take off and then go back inside in the air conditioning and cool down. But in Jewel, which is their newest addition to the airport, uh, there is the sense it's, it's, got, it's got a bit of that theme park feel where if you're just there for, like, a couple hours, it is mind-boggling and your eyes pop out of your head. They've got a giant waterfall and palm trees, and you can almost forget that there's a glass dome ceiling several stories above you but uh if you're there for 27 hours like i was you start to go a little you know (laughs) (laughs) well you say you were there for 27 hours you didn't just lie down on a uh, bench and fall asleep did you uh, where did you stay so there are a number of places you could stay i stayed at the crown plaza there um they've been awarded this uh, skytrax has given them the title of like the world's best airport hotel for several years running now and it they they have an outdoor pool they really make it sort of feel, they give it a sort of tropical feel, even though you're at an airport. You're not entirely indoors the whole time. Um, huh. And they, they really lovely hotel. What do they do, though? I mean, one of the bugaboos about mm-hmm. uh, airport hotels is you hear the planes landing and taking yeah. off, even with good soundproofing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, often you'll hear them because that's darn loud. How do they handle that? Well, it's wild. They said, you know, I, I, they also do soundproofing. Uh, now, maybe I had exhausted myself so much running around this airport airport that I did not hear them. And I am a very light sleeper, but I did not hear it. And I could see the control tower, you know, huh. from the hotel, but it did not bother me. Uh, I imagine, you know, maybe some rooms do feel it, but I had also read online reviews that a lot of people said they were impressed with their soundproofing there. Now, you also had one uh, um, experience that was a little scary, right? There's, yeah, there's even adventure travel in yes. this airport. Tell about that. Yes. In Jewel, on their top floor, they have sort of theme park attractions, and one of them are what they call sky nets. And there's a bouncing net, and then there's a net that you can walk over. And it is, you know, at least 80 feet over the nearest, you know, store. Like, I was walking over a Muji store. Wow. I found it very scary I, because, to me, I just felt like, you know, I was going to fall, but you obviously cannot. And well, I saw what was the net made out of? Uh, you know, I think it's like it, it's definitely like steel wire. You know, what okay. I mean, like it's yeah. wire, and but it it looks net like, and mm. it has a kind of a little bit of a give to give you that nice, you know, that fun feeling for people who are not me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I saw I saw very young kids, and I saw people like you know, like I like I said, I, I, there was a woman I saw who was you know she had to be at least seventy, and she was having a wonderful time. So I think it depends on your appetite for that sort of outward bound like activity. And do a lot of planes. Uh, change there? You said you were on your way to Vietnam. Mm -hmm. Is making a longer stopover a good strategy for many travelers? I think so. I don't think you need to do 27 hours. I think that's (laughs) excessive. But for instance, if you are going, if you have at least five and a half hours, they offer free uh, tours of Singapore. Like you can actually go into the city and see some of Singapore and they'll hold your luggage for you and, you know, take you around. So that might be a nice amount of time, you know, not you know, like n- not more than a day's worth of hours, but right. you know, if you can if you can pad your your transfer, sure. it would be great. Well, it makes a lot of sense. Well, it's been a delight. We have been speaking with Stephanie Rosenblum, who wrote a great article for the New York Times about Changi Airport. Look it up. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you so much.
You're listening to the Fromer Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer here with my father, Arthur Fromer. And up next, we have Kim Albright, who is the Chief Marketing Officer for SAP Concur, uh, with a, a more serious topic today. But briefly, can you let our listeners know, what does SAP Concur do? SAP Concur provides integrated travel and expense solutions for business travelers. Ah, okay. And you did a massive study recently that found some disturbing things uh, for travelers. It was it was about travelers' fears and the harassment they uh, are subjected to. What was what was the parameters of the study? How many people did you talk to? You know, we surveyed nearly 8,000 global business travelers to understand all of the challenges that they face while they're traveling for work. Uh, And there were some very noteworthy findings, as you said, including some issues around traveler safety. Yeah. Well, what caught my eye and why I wanted to speak with you is three in four female business travelers, 77% have experienced harassment while traveling. I guess that shouldn't be surprising, but did you dig in at all into what kinds of harassment or mistreatment they're experiencing? Yes, we did. I mean, oftentimes the female business travelers uh, will get asked if they're traveling with their husbands or they can be ignored by workers or uh, in a third of the situations, they're actually uh, getting catcalls as well. And as, a, as a, a business traveler, as a female business traveler myself, I can tell you, Pauline, that mm-hmm. I have experienced uh, many of these same situations as well. Right. And well, and it also depends on where you are in the world, what the social norms are. Um, yes. And with that in mind, LGBTQ travelers feel like they have to hide who they are when they're traveling for safety's sake. What what percentage of them feel they have to take these precautions? 95% of wow. the LGBTQ community felt like they needed to, uh, you know, hide their uh, their preferences. And I thought it was interesting. Some of them changed travel arrangements, right? Why do they do that? Yes, actually, we, we find that a number of people change travel arrangements because of the um, you know, current events or cultural tensions. Uh, it might be because of the political unrest, uh, if there are um, health hazards, or even the type of aircraft, if they had been booked on a particular type of aircraft and felt uncomfortable with that. And I think we've seen some examples of that. Um, that can all be reasons that they change their travel plans. Yeah, no, it's a fascinating study. Once again, we are speaking with Kim Albright, who's the chief marketing officer for SAP Concur. And you say that millennials have gotten more sensitive to current events. What do you mean by that? I mean, the, the the millennials are definitely paying attention to, you know, to what's happening from a current event perspective, and they absolutely want to be informed with what's happening uh, in their, you know, not only in their um, companies, but also in the environment, because they care and take a, a great uh, level of social interest in what's happening. And so it's really important that, that, um, that companies, you know, provide them with the information that they are seeking. And uh, so that they can feel more comfortable while they're on the road as well. Give me some examples of that type of information. 
you know, it's really important that the information appears in the travel policies and that people have an opportunity to, um, you know, that the travel policies are accessible and in, and easy to read. They're also asking Pauline for, uh, you know, specific trainings around safety. As you had said earlier, you know, making sure that people understand the cultural differences that might ha- that um, that that appear when you go from, you know, from different countries, for example, making sure that the employees are aware of what those differences might be and, and have a level of education, you know, before they they take the trip. And, you know, we're also seeing that um, that people, you know, the not only are companies doing a lot of things themselves to provide this additional insight and information, you've got the you've got the emergency button on Uber um, in TripIt. You've got the neighborhood safety scores, which is actually an application that I use personally all the time when I'm traveling to check out how safe the neighborhood is. Hmm. But I also find that I'm checking um you know, national resources like the U.S. Department of States, they have automatic uh, advisories for travelers that you can get. Mm -hmm. And so I think that there's an opportunity for, you know, companies to provide a level of education. But I also think as business travelers ourselves, you know, we should engage and make sure that, that, that we seek out information to, to be informed as well. The thing about this report that broke my heart was that tr- business travelers, and I'm, I mostly talk to leisure travelers, they feel a lot of stress planning for the trip. Why is that? There is a lot of stress, you know, planning for the trip because you've got to, you know, as you're planning for the trip, you need to be able to look at, uh, you know, your different um, flights or train uh, schedules. You need to be able to look at the neighborhoods that you're staying in. You absolutely need to be able to stay within your travel policy right. and um, and making sure that you follow the rules and regulations. And again, business travelers are doing all of this travel on behalf of the company for work. Sure. So, in so it's to actually, you know, getting all the arrangements made, you have the actual business of, 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 of getting the work done, you know, while you're on the road. And that itself is, is often stressful. Very true. So, well, thank you so much. We've been speaking with Kim you. Albright, who is from SAP Concur. Thank you. You're listening to The Travel Show. We started this hour talking about the top trends in travel for 2020. Um, This is based on an article that I wrote. You can read it on fromers.com. And one of the trends shouldn't come as a surprise to any of our listeners. It is climate change and how climate change is affecting travelers' decisions. In Europe, there's a big movement called flight shaming, where people who post about their vacations on social media are being shamed, are being told you should be doing greener things. That isn't as big a factor here in the United States, but there is a massive marketing agency called MMGY Global, and they did a very broad study and found that 44% of, let me just see, it uh, sorry, that a large percent, I'm, I'm not going to give you the number because I'm going to get it wrong, a uh, 60%, here it is, 60% of American travelers say their concerns over climate change will likely inform their travel. However, when they dug deeper into that, 
it looked like people were only willing to change travel when it was easy. So they were willing to give up, say, single-use plastics, but they didn't want to、uh, put money into carbon offsets. Only nine percent said they would, and they weren't going to go out of their way to look for environmentally friendly hotels or tour companies. Does that surprise you, Dad? It doesn't, Pauline, because climate change is a controversial subject within the United、yeah. States, but not within Europe, where the entire Continent of Europe has has agreed upon the fact that there is climate change in the offing, and that something has to be done about yeah, it. Yeah.、Uh, so even though,、uh, according to the my fellow at MMG who I talked to, he said that he felt American travelers were willing to do something if it was easy. If it wasn't easy, they didn't tend to do it.、Um, a lot of folks in the industry of travel. Are doing things. So, for example, Amtrak has announced it's going to be reducing carbon dioxide greenhouse gas emissions by twenty thousand metric tons in the next year. Etihad Airways flew the world's first flight that used fuel made from plants. Uh, which I thought was really, really exciting. That's quite remarkable. Kenya and Tanzania have banned all single-use plastic bags, and they are telling all travelers who come to Kenya and Tanzania, "Don't you bring one of those?" And also, a lot of、uh, flight search engines,、uh, specifically Hipmunk and Kayak, but a bunch of them are now doing this, are now. Directing you to train schedules or buses、okay. that you might be able to use on your route instead of a flight, which I thought was very interesting. Don't you, Dad? Well, that that that's a use of of、uh, fuel. That is not based on fossil fuels. That is a, well, they're a, fossil a more, fuels, but they're it's much greener. There's more people who do it with less、uh, outlay. Take anyway, a train rather than a plane. Yes, take a and take a look at Fromers.com where you'll see this article and many many others. We have to say goodbye for this hour. We thank you so much for listening, and, and we wish you a hearty bon voyage. 